Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Someone sent you holiday drinks. Hey, thanks. Can I guess what it is? Eggnog from a friend? I don't think so. A vintage red for dinner with the in-laws tonight? How did you know I'm going... Or is it apology scotch from your neighbors for driving through your lawn? What? That was Randy? Aw, it's a mezcal for my dad. Wow. Is he single? Download the Drizzly app for alcohol delivery or order online at drizly.com. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Uh, View from the Cheap Seats, Squad Brothers here, Randy and Jay. Uh, thank you for sticking with us as we uh, try and talk about what is going on in the world of sports and what, you know, even philosophical discussions about the world of sports, uh, because now is the time to actually think about all that stuff, to take stock. What are we missing? Why is this important to us? What can we have? What can we glean from it? What are we watching in the absence of it? What old sports are we watching? Uh, I know Jay and I both last night watched game two and game seven of the 1982 Cardinals World Series against the uh, Brewers. It was insane to see all the players on both teams. Like The Brewers looked like a beer league softball team to me. Like no one was in shape. Everyone looked like they were about 46. Pete Vukovic looked like he smoked a pack of cigarettes and drank a case of beer before he went out to pitch. Game seven, his shirt wasn't in. Edward James almost was like, I don't think he has very good skin. That that was his comment about Pete Vukovic. Vukovic and Gorman Thomas looked like the same dude. I was just the whole time looking up the players and how big they were. Like, what was his weight? And how tall was he? Like Vukovic, 6'4", 225. Gorman Thomas, I'm like, are they the same height? Gorman Thomas, 6'2", 215. So, or Vukovic was 245. They were huge. But like Robin Yount looked like, and Gander, Robin and Yount Charlie Moore, they all looked he was totally Wooderson and Gant and more. I remember when I wore Robin Yount's, we were at the tops. This was crazy. We were at the tops card come you know their offices and they showed us the closet where they had relic all the relic room, room where they had relic all these room. things like they had they had kareem abdul jabbar's draft day suit which we put on the jacket they had like you know who do they have someone earl back, campbell's like jersey garrick's back yeah earl yeah. campbell's jersey and i and i wore robin yount's jersey you wore tom Seaver's jersey i wore it out of the they let me wear it out of the office which was crazy it's but like, i wore it for a couple days and it was just so amazing to wear Robin Yount's jersey it was tiny everybody was so thin it was it was so interesting and to watch those games was great uh but so there are no sports happening right now let me just say this we're going to get into it and talk about it with the guy who started Deadspin uh he is a fantastic sports fan he's in Georgia right now was in New York uh Will Leach is coming on the show and then later on the show we have a voicemail from Bernie Sanders who dropped out of the race but Maybe is thinking of, I wonder if he's got time to watch sports right now. But Maybe. first, top of the show, I, I want to talk about because I, I watched the horse. Jay, did you watch the I did. Uh, I did. I ESPN watched. horse competition? I watched the horse competition between I mean, NBA were, players and WNBA players. Uh, uh, you you commented on Twitter and it made me laugh really hard that the uh, the tours of the NBA players' houses not going over so well with the WNBA crowd. Yeah, the WNBA crowd looked like they grew up on our street. 
You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's bad when, you know, it's a horse game. So you got to call your shot. And like the NBA players are calling glass and the WNBA players are calling the glass ceiling. Yeah. The WNBA players, the glass ceiling. And in, you know, the WNBA players were like, NBA players were like, I can't go too deep because the WNBA players court is in a very small driveway and like, right. Kind of on the, over the garage, like, wait, it's not great. if like you're shooting up onto the garage. Right. A ball could get stuck. And then you got to get a, like the WNBA players needed like a ladder. Meanwhile, Mike Conley jr. Has his own practice court. Indoors, like Mike I mean, Conley Jr.'s like, Mike like Conley Jr. gym was nicer than Tamika Ketching's house. I'm like, what is going on here? So that was interesting. Uh, Paul Pierce, I, I feel like the show could have been renamed "Paul Pierce Can't Jump Anymore," and I yeah. would have watched that. Mark Jones, who I love, Mark Jones is like calling the game from his house. They're like empty coat hangers behind him. He didn't get out of there. And, you know, he's like looking through so I had looking through so much paperwork. I'm like, come on, dude, are you refinancing your home? What's happening right now? So that was fascinating and really funny for us. But I'm watching it and we're doing it and I'm live tweeting it and it's get generating a lot of energy and whatnot because it was a live thing. And the thing that was interesting to me is like it now more than ever. And we've been receiving so many comments about this. Now more than ever, I think there's a desire to have cheap seats come back in a way. And yeah, a way to know, comment get it from a way to comment on old sports or current non-sports or to sort of find what's funny and interesting while at the same time upholding what's going on, but in many ways just finding what's funny and interesting and adding an element of comedy because you know, when I was watching the horse tournament, what I was driven by was, you know, obviously you miss the fans and obviously we miss the arenas, but something that would fill in, that would serve as fill in there and allow you to laugh along it would be comedy. And I feel like that in many ways made our Cheap Seats episodes of The Spelling Bee made them exciting and funny. Cheap Seats episodes of Scrabble made it an exciting and funny thing to watch because what filled in the moments of silence and the awkward moments that weren't working was comedy. Yeah. And so now more than ever, I mean, I feel like ESPN, I'm just going to say it should be playing the old episodes of cheap seats and everyone's asking for them. Where can I see them? Where can I get them? And so that prompted us. We have just launched a YouTube page. Um, it is YouTube where we're getting the, the name and it should be coming in a couple of weeks, but youtube.com slash Sklarbro country. But right now the link is in our Instagram at Sklar brothers at the, in the bio, you can just click on that and subscribe to it because as this drops on a Friday, uh, we should have a number of cheap seats episodes up on, and collected on that page, a whole section of cheap seats. And we're just going to keep putting them up there, collect all of them, all 77 of them. Right, Jay? Yeah. And right now we have 40, 444 subscribers. We can do better than that. We, let's get to 5,000. Let's get to 10,000. All these people who listen to this show, take a moment right now before we take a break and, and we get pick up Will Leach on the other side of this break. Take a moment, go to YouTube, go to our Instagram page, click on the link, and then go to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. Check out the videos we have there. We have videos of our other podcasts. We have videos of us doing you know guest starring spots, videos of us doing stand-up, and cheap seats will be there. We are there for you because we want to help you get through this 
Uh, that's why we're still doing this podcast through this time of no sports. We want to provide for you entertainment and insight and comedy uh, and observations that will hopefully help you get through this time the same way we consume podcasts to get us through this time. All right. Uh, that's it. Segment one. We, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to have one of the best sports writers out there, uh, someone we love. And we don't just love him because he's from St. Louis. We love him because we love reading his stuff. Will Leach joins us on the other side of this break. This is View from the Cheap Seats with the Squad Brothers. Guys, with the bustling holiday season well underway, ready-to-eat meal delivery can lend a helping hand, and our good buddies at Factor, they got it. They shop, they prep, they cook, they deliver to your door so you can enjoy chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals during the holidays. How good does that sound? Minus the hassle, that sounds even better. Plus, you know, you got 34 meals per week. Gourmet Plus, Keto, which I've been doing and I love, Calorie Smart Vegan Plus Veggie, and 36 Plus Weekly Add-ons. You'll have plenty of nutritious, flavorful options to choose from. My mouth is watering. I can't even do this ad. Our holidays, look, they're jam-packed. I know yours are too. Everyone's looking down the barrel of like so much busy time. If you got two minutes, you get the factor meals. They're super easy to prepare. And all of a sudden you're having like a restaurant quality meal in your own home. It's cheaper than going out. As we mentioned, 34 meals per week, 36 plus add-on options. It's amazing. It's cheaper than dining out. Take that money that you save from, from not going out and spending money at a restaurant and spend it on the holidays, on gifts and stuff. Special occasion meal, Gourmet Plus, perfect solution. If you're looking for that, upscale. Their options are done easy. It's amazing. Look, here's what you do. Head to go.factor75.com slash sklar60. Use the code sklar60 to get 60% off your first box. That's code sklar60 at go.factor75.com slash sklar60 to get 60% off your first box. I'm telling you, this factor thing is amazing. You'll be amazed at how much time and money you save, and we all need that as we roll into the holidays. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. We love this dude. We love his writing. We even did his uh, show in a tiny studio in New York City <laughs> for Time, was it Time Magazine? Inc? Sports Sport? Illustrated, back when Sports Sport. Illustrated was an actual uh, thing. Sports Illustrated. Will Leach, thanks for taking time out of your busy quarantine schedule to come join us for this. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm good. Thanks for that. Everyone's uh, holding up uh, uh, best they can. I have children that are in the second grade in kindergarten uh, that I am attempting to uh, try to. Uh, uh, it's it's good. I can finally fix all that dumb stuff the school's been teaching them uh, right. for all of these years. So that yeah, new I'm math, new enough. math is insane. But well, uh, you're yeah. down in you're down in Georgia now, right? Yeah, I'm in Athens, Georgia. So the uh, uh, the the one place that quarantined uh, three weeks before the governor uh, did all the right. stuff that he's doing. So I mean, if you we've been very used miles, to this. If you were ten miles in any direction, you'd be having to teach your kids creationism, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now I'm now uh, I I get though to be fair, that is actually true of uh, a lot, ten miles everywhere from everywhere in America. I feel like you're always really yeah. close to creationism anymore. That's, That's right. That's right. Well, so, so first of all, why the move to Athens? 
from you were in New York and then you moved to, you know, a, a college town, very cool town, Athens, Georgia, a little REM action. Yeah. But uh, why the move down there? Yeah, you know, I lived in New York for 13 years, and our first son uh, was born out there. Uh, my wife is from Columbus, Georgia, and she went to school here. Though it's funny because when we moved here, I said, "Hey, so you lived here? You went to college here for four years? You should probably have like lots of ideas of what's going on. Like, where do we go?" She's like, "I went to college here." And I realized it was a little bit like asking Dennis Hopper what happened between like 67 and 72. I was like, "I was here, and then I was here, and then it was just a blur of images and and bongs, and I have no idea what happened after that." And- Peter so, Fonda in both cities. You know, <laughs> yeah, Dennis somehow, like, somehow he was like, I was drunk, I was here, I hit like 40 <laughs> women, that's who I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I so, coached uh, a basketball team when I shouldn't have had any business coaching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun. So, so, so we, we love it here. You know, we had our second son here and now – you know, I, I'm still working. I still write for MLB.com. I still write for New York Magazine. I still write for the New York Times. Like, uh, frankly, you know, I've been working at a home anyway since uh, since I started Deadspin 15 years ago now, if you can believe that. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. So, so uh, I've been working at home anyway. So, frankly, there are probably still a lot of people that I work with on a daily basis that still think I'm in New York. So wow. <laughs> it works out. It works out pretty well. And so it's, technically, you are still in New York. We won't say anything to anyone. <laughs> exactly. Don't tell anyone. Uh, well, let's let's talk about Deadspin because they've had like the most tumultuous year. I'm sure you got hit up with like all the unionizing, all the craziness mm-hmm. stuff happened. I mean, talk about it from your perspective because this was something you created, then you left it and it sort of got away from what you guys originally were doing and kind of came back. Like, tell us your relationship to it since you left. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I think it's gone through, like I think any site, good site should, it's gone, it went through several and kind of incarnations. Uh, and it was a different site um, uh, when, before all the madness went down than it was when I did, which I think is good, by the way. Like, I, I yeah. feel like a lot of the things that are really bad about uh, publications, of the internet is there's uh, this idea that they all have to have this hive mind think. Uh, if I would have kept, if they'd have kept running Deadspin the way that I run it, would have ran it. I don't know if it would have existed anymore. I could, I was like the indie band in like Brooklyn and they needed to expand. They needed to, you know, I didn't want anyone to work for it, but me. And so for it to get larger the way it needed to go. And so they took it in different directions. And I think that's great. I think think they did a great job with it. And, uh, but you know, like a lot of uh, places they ran into, uh, uh, in the wake of the Peter Thiel Hulk Hogan thing, because they were owned by Gawker then, uh, they kind of got caught in the crossfire on that and went to some bad owners and then ultimately ended up with some worse owners and uh, to the to terrible people that they have now, uh, just basically some soulless private equity firm that doesn't know anything about uh, anything. And they their issue with Deadspin was not so much they didn't like the content, they just wanted control. And so I think a lot of that came down. The whole stick to sports thing was really less about politics and more about trying to get the staff who was go- who were going through a unionizing drive at the time uh, into gear. And Deadspin, uh, I will uh, again, I was not a part of it, uh, but I certainly found myself very supportive of what they were doing. Yes. Uh, and uh, and it ultimately led to the whole staff quitting. And uh, now there is a uh, they, there's some people call it the zombie Deadspin uh, that, that relaunched. I, I think it was cosplay deadspin feels like a better uh way, way to put better. it for me but yes. um uh, certainly they are, there's there's people still doing that i listen i got no offense to the people that are uh, uh, no trouble for the guys people that are working there the all guys by the way that's one issue now with the new deadspin it's yeah. all guys working there but you know people people doing the best they can people people are, are working but uh, i think with the people that are in charge uh there uh, i don't think anyone questions that that's not it doesn't really have any resemblance to what deadspin was uh, uh really at any time 
before this. So I did find it amusing that they literally launched the Friday after uh, uh, after the the NBA canceled its season. So the season, and there were it was going to be clear there were going to be no sports. So uh, there was a certain cosmic justice, I think, to Deadspin uh, to cosplay Deadspin relaunching the day that sports stopped happening under the banner of stick to sports. Yeah, exactly. Because like, <laughs> the old Deadspin would have been able to handle maybe like to kind of run to the areas that it had done in terms of saying, look, this is where sports can, you know, this is how sports then is reflected in other areas of life. And that's, you know, I mean, look, we're still doing this podcast because there's still stuff to talk about and it's more theoretical in like, you know, we're sort of talking about what is sports this time allows us to say, what does sports mean? I mean, stuff is still happening as, as Michigan sports fans, university of Michigan sports fans last night. And this morning were as we recorded the two worst for Michigan basketball, where we had so much hope and joy, you have a five-star recruit who had basically strung you along until the day before signing day, choose to go to another school. And then you had your other five-star recruit who you had in basketball uh, decide to play overseas, leaving this is after two things transferred. So there's still stuff going on. You know, we have to talk yeah. about it, but like if it's, if you're sports only and just talking about the scores in the games, you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. This as an Illinois fan, we finally were going to make the tournament this year and our, our top two players look like they're going pro right uh, when they miss the tournament. So yeah, there's a lot of things uh, that are frustrating and a lot of things that have been lost, but there's a lot of sports, you know, store stories. You know, I'm still writing. I still write a weekly column for New York magazine. Um, I love writing about sports for non-sports publications, by the way, because yeah. yeah, they're all really, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Right. Cause they're, they're like, Oh wow. It's basketball season already. I was like, yes, stay at that level of knowledge and editing over my stories if you could. Um, but, uh, but, and I still write for major league baseball. I still write three things for baseball. We've kind of shifted into more of a nostalgic phase. I kind of like look back at players and, and good years throughout baseball history uh, rather than looking forward just because you can't you really have no idea when baseball is going to be able to be back so trying to make to talk about like wow here's a key potential addition for the Red Sox feels like kind of a weird thing to talk right about. oh did you watch so the next, did you watch last yeah. night last night the MLB network was showing cards Brewers 82 <laughs> like game two and then game seven which you're probably asleep because you're East Coast, but that went till like 1.30 in the morning and we're texting John Hamm like in tears <laughs> talking about the last time we were 11 or 10. So, but, I, so, but I didn't remember those games. We were so young. We were 10 and we were so emotionally involved in those games, like watching them live and you, you can't watch them. You're running in the other room because moments are too big for you to handle. But now to actually sit down with distance and what it's the coolest thing ever. It's bizarre, right? To like look back and and uh, and realize that like the 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 when I think of that series, that was the first year I ever liked baseball. My father had tried to get me into baseball before, and it never really worked. I was seven, and uh, he, he and finally he took me to Bush Stadium one day, and Ozzy did a flip, and Willie McGee yeah, hit a triple, and it was just like, oh, I'm hooked forever at this point. Right. And so, but that World Series, I remember Willie McGee making the great catch and hitting the two home runs. Like I remember, uh, obviously the last. I remember Daryl Porter, who was actually my favorite player at the time. I actually wrote about him for MLB a couple of weeks ago. Um, he was my favorite player on that team, other than Ozzie and Willie, who are obviously like sure. they weren't they weren't really people as they were just gods kind of floating above yeah. everyone. But uh, yeah, to go back and you know, I watched that documentary too. I love John Hamm in that documentary, by the way, because originally I was offended because I write for MLB all the time. I was offended I was not asked to be in it, and then I realized, oh no, the the role of the 
for person who watched it as a kid and loved those teams and got so crazy as a fan is being played by John Hamm. I think they probably yeah, made the right cool. selection uh, in, in doing that. But yeah, that team, you know, that documentary was good. It still felt like it's weird though, because when you think of those 80s teams, that 82 team was obviously great. The 85 team has always felt like really the Cardinals team. Like the 82 team won the World Series. And so the documentary kind of focused on 82. But for me, 85 won two. 85 won two if you count the Warrell. Exactly. Exactly. And they were showing full games last night. They weren't just showing the documentary. They they were showing games two and then watched all of game two. All of it. Like, I mean, the, the broadcast team, first of all, NBC had it which was interesting because NBC had the World Series that year. And the broadcast team was Dick Emberg, Joe Garagiola, Tony Kubek, and Tom Seaver. And I just (laughs) – Kubek's voice to me is like – it is baseball in the early 80s. It was like Yankee Stadium. And like Kubek's voice, that kind of high-pitched kind of voice, (laughs) that to me was like – he. it just – it for us was like our youth. Listening to those yeah. guys and Garagiola had they were like four old men just sitting around talking about <laughs> baseball on a street corner corner, but the street corner happens to be the booth, happens to be over Bush Stadium during the World Series. That's what it felt like. Yeah, I was blown away by how, yeah, I was blown away by how comfortable they were. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were just casual through this thing. And well, all yeah, the shots all the shots of players. I love yeah, and every fan has got a cigarette. And yeah, every yeah. ad is for Winston. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, but yeah, you know, it's I, I listen. I appreciate the art of being a broadcaster. I think people. I think I think Dan McLaughlin, the Cardinals broadcaster, is really good, and I think yeah. there's certainly an art for it. But there is something special about old ball players just kind of drinking and smoking in the booth and shooting the shit. Uh, to me, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of Mike Shannon's left, right? Like mm-hmm. the idea where it's just it's just hearing them talk. Listen, if I'm listening to Mike Shannon call a game, to be honest. 30 to 40% of the time, I'm not entirely sure what's happening in the game, but that's okay. But that's That's totally fine. fine. And uh, so for me, you know, there is that level of baseball broadcasting. It's kind of what they all did back in the day. And now everything, like pretty much everything in American life, everything's very efficient and everything is. Because everyone, you know, imagine if Twitter would have uh, have existed then. We'd all been yelling at Tony Kubek for like, just tell us what's going on. Enough of your old stories. But to me, that's the fun of having broadcasters. And I feel like that's one of the things that we've lost. Well, it's interesting because now you can, through like Sirius Radio and you can have Sirius on your app, you can listen to the St. Louis broadcast of games during the regular season. And so out here in L.A., back when life was normal, my daughter would go to gymnastics and I would just take the right by the L.A. River. You could take there's a long walking path. I would drop her off and the game would have started at like. 530. So I drop her off, put on put in my earbuds and listen to a full Cardinals <laughs> broadcast of a game and listen to it on the radio the way we listen to it as kids. And it's Mike Shannon. So it's the same voice from as when we were kids. And it just and just walk the LA River while I listen to I the mean, Cardinals we, game. We, we had at our grandmother's house, and I'm sure you had a setup like this somewhere in St. Louis, <laughs> when we'd sleep over at our grandmother's house on Friday nights during the Cardinal season. She had two single beds, like twin beds that kind of came to like a corner. And then in between the two beds was a table. And on the table, inside the table was a radio. The radio was installed in the table. And we heard on the game and we'd go to sleep to the game at night. And that was the voice we heard, you know, Jack Buck and Mike Shannon putting us to sleep at night. It was magic. 
first of all, I forgot about the, the my grandmother also had the radio in the table. I forgot about the old right. radio yeah. uh, installed on the counter. But, you know, it's funny, uh, Randy, you talked a little bit about uh, I was in New York uh, in mid-February and I was just I had some time to kill. So I just literally walked across the Brooklyn Bridge and listened to Shannon call a spring training game. And Str- Shannon and Shannon in spring training is even more Loser. relaxed than, oh, yeah. than major league he's like occasionally you hear a bat hit a ball and you're like oh right there's like a game happening game. right now <laughs> and it's great right like and for me that is yeah of all the things i find myself missing and again it hasn't even been that long yet but all the things i've been missing you know the thing that i love about baseball i write about all sports but baseball is my favorite sport and the thing i love about baseball is it's just always happening like baseball is always happening for better or for worse, right? Like for me, the great thing about baseball, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, like a public park somewhere. Like if I want, I can spend all day at the park if I want to, right. or I can just drive by the park and wave, or I can ignore the park entirely, but it's always there. And it's always there when you need it. And I can deep dive or I can ignore it. And it's still happening. It's like a river running through. It's just constantly happening. The yes. fact that it's not, uh, you know, for me, one of my the things I've written about baseball a lot, I tend to not – I think we've discussed this before. I tend to not get, like, too emotionally involved in PEDs or think it's like or, – or, or even the cheating scandal. I think those things are bad, but I don't. they don't feel like, oh, how will baseball survive this? It feels like humans messing up rather than baseball messing up. And the, to me, the worst scandal in baseball history – uh, it's in my lifetime is 1994 because the strike the strike in, ended the World Series. There was no World Series. <laughs> to me, that's a that's much right. bigger tragedy than guys hitting more homers than they should. Or and I don't like those things to be clear. But like you know, or or the Astros scandal when there's no baseball, that's the tragedy. That's why I always focus on labor issues more in sports than like those things because that's the only thing that can take games away. Until this, and this so dis- so hard to wrap so my mind me, around that there's no baseball at all happening. So let me ask you this. So, I mean, God knows what's going to happen. We just don't know what's going to happen in terms of how we control this. And the truth of the matter is the it's it's almost like the like the black cloud of CTE re- resting over football, meaning like we're all just waiting for the biggest shoe to drop and then the NFL and college football will kind of be over. But the idea that except it's a good cloud, which is the vaccination that we'll get for this, you know, possible the vaccination we'll get maybe in a year and a half, maybe a little sooner, who knows. And then at that point, like, how do we, are we going to, when are we going to go back to full games and, and playing sports and having that be a part of our lives as a distraction? Let's say we were able to go back and start playing games in August, at the end of August. Would you go for a 30 game MLB season that can still no have fans. playoff implications and no fans and like, do it in like the grapefruit league style in that it's, you know, where it's like the Arizona league and the Florida league. Those are the two leagues. I mean, it could be fascinating and interesting just to give something. Yeah. I think already you're starting to see people uh, come to terms with the fact that if there is baseball this year, it is not going to be like a normal season in any way, shape or form. And so we should maybe stop pretending that it's going to be, which is to say that like, maybe we have a traditional world series or maybe we don't, if baseball, if it comes back at all, but the idea that like, Oh, well, uh, 81 games is too few for an official season. Yep. Agreed. But this is not going to be an official season to any way, shape or form. 
And listen, right. I would love the 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 cactus league, grapefruit league thing. I hope they can make that work. Uh, though I would, uh, we're always you know baseball. I wrote about this for the New York Times uh, right after uh, baseball kind of suspended everything about the idea. When you think of baseball, when you think of I don't know about you guys, but when I think of my life, if you were to say like 2004, the first thing I think is not presidential election or here's where I was in my career. The first thing I think was oh Cardinals made the World Series. That was like, that was the year the Red Sox won it, and uh, you know and all and I mean, like sports years are the way that. I kind of classify, I joked in the piece that basically the only years I don't do this are 2001 uh, because of, of course, September 11th, and 2011 because my son was born. And even that, that's the Cardinals World Series year. So, yeah, so like. The greatest. Or the one that allows us. But September 11th, I mean, I still think about Yankees, Arizona. I think about the fact that New York was in that World Series, which is yeah, and so, like for for a certain type of sports fan, I think sports years uh, you classify your years by what happened in sports that year. Twenty twenty is already no matter what happens the rest of the way the coronavirus year for sports and for everything else that's going on in the world. And yeah, so, yeah. because sorry, no, just no, go ahead. We're agreeing. We're agreeing. Yeah. yeah. So, so because of that, I think that once we accept that, like you know what, it's just not. This is just all that's going to be. I feel like you're almost grateful for anything that you can get. So if you get a if you get a half season, if you get a quarter season, what's interesting is when you look at what other sports are doing. I feel like a lot of it's going to come down to the desperation of a sports league to push it. Uh, the example of this I would probably use is college is college football specifically. Right. Uh, college right. football more than any other sport going on needs. But there to be sports this year. There's whole collegiate budgets based on the idea. Football pays for all other sports, and some schools pays for the university in a lot of ways. And also, frankly, uh, it is geographically concentrated in areas that are uh, perhaps more impatient to get things back going, or less believing that they need to socially yes. distance. So you think about what are the leagues that drive it? Well, the ACC a little bit because of Clemson and the SEC, which is the you're there. You're in the yeah. heart of it right now. And yeah. you know that like those are areas where people are like, when can we get done with this bullshit as opposed yeah. to how and do we I, do it right? And they're just so they, – I mean they need it. They need football. Forget just fans of the effect, just financially speaking. Yeah. And you know, this has been an issue with sports for a while. Sports has been kind of this – has been in this boom financial time. But it's been a little bit of an illusion. A lot of it is because, you know, as, as you guys know uh, – Television is not run by appointment anymore. People watch no. things on their own time. They watch things with the exception of sports. And so, yeah, therefore, networks. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, more. networks will are paying insane amount of, amounts of money for sports right now because, and that's filtering throughout the entire industry, because it's the one thing you can guarantee people will watch like that, not like award shows or something, right. or whenever NBC yeah. will do a weird, awkward musical restaging that's live. Right. And so uh, because of that, they're paying so much money for it, but they all went under the assumption that, well, yeah, of course there, were, there will still be games, right? And so if there's no games and there's no programming, all of a sudden those contracts, like think about, think about what the NCAA and CBS have already lost by not having the NCAA tournament. Insane. Now transfer, yeah, and transfer that to football, that is, it, starts, it starts really, really effective. Whereas baseball, listen, I hope baseball can come back. I am hopeful there will be something this year. But, you know, A, baseball doesn't really have a lot of control over it. Baseball just has to hope the national response, uh, the, the executive branch response gets a little bit better. But baseball, if baseball loses a year, and I really hope they don't lose a year, baseball will not go away. 
Like it will be back in 2021 and it will be frustrating that we lost it. I'm not sure how colleges withstand losing a year of football programming. And so that to me is the next big step to see what happens, how much college football pushes it, because if they push it and have some success or, or don't have success, I think that'll affect how hard, how much the NFL pushes it and how much baseball uh, tries to get something back. I feel like college football is the one that's most desperate uh, to get games on and also would be more willing to maybe take some risks to do it. I think they would – I think what you're going to see is, <clears throat> before anything, <clears throat> playing the games without fans because those games can be broadcast on TV and you still have the TV rights and you still have P- – okay, so Michigan is going to play Michigan State. You're still going to have Georgia playing LSU and Georgia and Alabama playing Auburn at certain times. You just won't have the fans and it makes it a worse experience, but you can still watch it on TV. So – the way it's shot, you can shoot it in such a way that you don't see the, you know, the crowd. You don't ever see that, and so it's just shots of the players and just, you it'll know, like the like shot North, of the it'll game. It'll feel like a northwestern. It'll feel like a northwestern. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, but the point is that, like, you will, you will still have the experience of watching TV and, and watching sports on TV. So I believe if there's a way to test all the players and you know, you know, test them keep them, I guess, sequestered in a certain way, they may, I agree with you. Like, I think extreme measures will be taken to at least preserve those games for television. That's the first line. Then it's, can we bring fans in, which I don't think you're going to be able to do this fall. Yeah, I don't think I- so. I think another hard part too, though, and we saw this with some of the problems with uh, with baseball floating the Arizona fan, uh, the Arizona plan is, sure, you can test all the players, but you know, a, uh, they have to have hotels to stay in. You have to kind of keep them. It's the biodome idea, right? Like you just have to hope that everyone, um, yeah. What about the people that feed them? What, how does, where does the food come from? The NFL talked about building this massive city, uh, where all with four, 15 stadiums where they could all just play without fans. But the problem is, is, uh, you know, you have to get food from somewhere. You have to, you have, you're keeping them away from their families for a long time, which a lot of, a lot of people aren't going to be as willing to do. And all it takes is one positive test. It's you've, We've seen this in uh, in the Chinese basketball league. We've seen this in uh, in some of the uh, some of the baseball leagues. Korean baseball league had this problem. They tried to get back, and all it took was one person testing positive, and then you just have to kind of stop the whole thing again. That's that's the worry, and and those are places, frankly, that have handled this better than the United States has. Oh, yeah. And I, th- I think, I think that's where the concern is. Um, but that, that's why I think, I think major league baseball, uh, I think has taken a good initiative to try to get this back. And I think that plan has a lot of problems, but it is a plan. It is weird for me to hear about how angry people got at baseball for being like, what are you even thinking about this now? Like, I don't know. I mean, I think it's okay to, to think, think about this now a little bit, uh, but I think baseball is also, you know, it's a billion dollar business that has people specifically in charge, unlike college football, that who would have to take the hit if uh, something goes wrong, which is why they're going to be cautious in a way that I can absolutely see college football not being cautious. Yeah. And baseball, when you think about it, less of a contact sport, less of a close contact sport between people and players. I mean, they could devise mat like like face guards for them. You know what I mean? Like a plexiglass face guard and you can still play baseball. I mean, and I guess you could do the same for football too. Um, but there does seem to be like 
more distance. It's not a contact sport like football is, and I would even argue not basketball. Like, or, the, or the NBA, yeah, the, or the yeah. NBA, where guys are sweating on each other and, you know, you're, you don't realize how close you are. It's like the Rudy Gobert is going to regret touching the microphone <laughs> and all that, that those anti, he's going to regret that forever, I think. It's the first line of it. I mean, like he can win three NBA championships now, and that's what he's going to be known for. Really, really, yeah, forever. And that's such a, and whatever. I mean, listen, as far as we know, he got it from Donovan Mitchell or a fan that he signed autograph for. Like, we don't know that Rudy yeah. Gobert is this actual patient zero, but the mic touching thing. After that, it's kind of over. It's interesting you talk about like social distancing involving baseball. The Chinese baseball league actually is playing right now. They actually just started their games. There's a great shot of a mascot sitting alone in the stands, just being like, "Why am I here? How am I essential labor here? Right. Like, what, yeah, why am I required?" Exactly. That's the mask. He's breathing <laughs> into his own fur. That's all he's doing. So, the amazing thing is the Chinese league is playing without bats, and that's yeah. literally just yeah. <laughs> our brothers, if you're I, angry, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Uh, but it's it, but it's funny because like, but I think that that's where you see baseball potentially maybe making some changes that they were considering making anyway, like robot umpires would be a very good example of the idea like, okay, maybe you don't actually need, uh, if you can have one fewer person on the field or one fewer person sitting right behind the catcher, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons they experimented that within the minor leagues last year anyway, was to see if that could, that could work, not because of a pandemic, but because they're seeing if they can get rid of umpires. Uh, and, you know, baseball is a sport. You know, I feel like uh, um, it's there's even with baseball, there's still things like, okay, well, does the first baseman guard the line? Can the guy lead off? Like, just all sorts yeah. of like weird little baseball things that pop up. But of all the sports, certainly it doesn't require you to get tackled or to uh, to to bump into each other or block out in the lane. So I think I mean, baseball the other thing is that, the closest. The other thing you can do is wear long sleeves and wear gloves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? There can be a glove aspect yeah, of it. Yeah. But again, the the continual testing of athletes. The interesting thing about baseball to me, it, one of the most exciting things that Jay and I have seen in baseball in the last five years was the World Baseball Classic yeah. as a tournament. To us was at a time when baseball needed it more than anything. I remember we were watching the, what was it, Jay? Who, it was we were in Cleveland. It was, it was, it was the United States against Puerto Puerto Rico, maybe or no, not Puerto Rico. It was like Costa Rica or Costa Rica or Colombia. 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 Yeah. Colombia. So we're watching the game and we're eating. We we're at the comedy club there, and we had a show that night. And we're eating, and we look up on the screen and in the Cleveland. Rest, we're in, in Cleveland. Cleveland. And we're at the bar, and we look up on the screen in the restaurant, you know, the, above the comedy club, and we see the the Colombian team jumping over the over the railing of the of the dugout to like hands up in the air screaming to meet a guy who just slid into home and scored because the u.s fielder bobbled the ball in center field whatever we're like oh my god colombia just beat the united states this is the craziest (laughs) thing i've ever seen in an early round game that's insane and they had just scored a run in the second inning yeah, I know. right. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was so it's so oh. exciting. It was so fun, and they were having so much fun, and the bat flipping, and the yeah. no one got through and it. Some exactly, nobody got no got thrown at right after that happened, right? And you know, another fun thing about that too, I noticed because at first it, you would you would see the the team USA, they kind of I don't know about 
about the way that they're celebrating. But by the end of the tournament, they were a little bit more excited. Like they they were a little bit more outlandish. And to me, that yeah. was like a perfect sign that a the World Baseball Classic needs to take place more often than every four years. So every two years. years. Yeah, every like absolutely. Years, every year. Because you saw the culture changing. You, you didn't just, it wasn't just like, wow, boy, the, the Latino players are so much more excited. By the end, the U.S. was playing, like the U.S. was a really, really fun team to watch. They were starting to pimp the homers a little bit. It was, and they were starting to be more celebrating. You know, enjoying playing this really awesome sport that's really fun to play. And, and so, you know, that is, that to me, and I get it. Uh, you know, one of the many frustrations about baseball kind of commentary over the last few years is it seems to be only broadcast by people who don't like the way the game is played right now. All like the old yeah. white dudes in like their 60s and being like, well, they, yeah, Bob Gibson would have put a baseball in his ear or so on like that yeah. if yeah. he had done that, which I don't think is necessarily true. Bob Gibson himself has said, yeah, I didn't really usually do that, actually. But I'm sure you're you're making a rhetorical <laughs> point. Um, you know, I, and, and, and I feel like, you know, that is – um, uh, to see baseball, I feel like baseball is a sport, you know, that every single time, whatever your thoughts about Rob Manfred, whenever he would toss out an idea, uh, I always felt like it was actually an interesting process. He would toss out an idea. People like, what an idiotic idea. What a terrible thing. And then you would see when it's actually implemented, it would be like very kind of a small measure and it would be it's, it's like slightly move forward. I do feel like this is the sort of like shake up baseball thing that right now, you have to be pretty stick in the mud to be like, well, when baseball comes back, it better be exactly like it was in 1957 or I'm not going to watch. Like, like I would watch baseball played by robots. I would watch baseball played by dogs. I would watch baseball played by people who personally hate me with wearing uniforms that says Will Leach sucks on the front. I would do anything to watch baseball right now. So uh, I do think you will see some radical changes when baseball comes back. I do think that there's a very real possibility that you will never see a game without a DH again, to be honest. Yeah, I think, that, I think, that's, I right. think that's something that's, that, that I think you'll see a change here. Uh, I think you're going to see extra playoff teams. You're going to see different things that they're going to try. And I think people are going to be less resistant to it because, we man, I'm just going to want baseball happy. Back. Yeah, they'll just be happy that it's back. All right, Jade, we should take a break and then we come back. We got some quick hits. Will Leach is with us, uh, and uh, just so happy to have him on the show and just to be talking about all this stuff again. There is there are no sports right now, but the the idea if you are a lover of sports, the idea of being able to talk about the all, all the iterations of it to us gets us excited. It's what we do on the in between. So uh, we're going to come back. We have some quick hits, and then later uh, a voicemail from uh, Bernie Sanders, who has more time to enjoy sports right now we'll be back uh this is view from the cheap seat stay with us there's a playground of children in the shadows of buildings there's a lawn out the church where your homelessness works where the stained glass hey guys welcome back to the show uh we got will we will leach with us will tell people how they can follow you and read your stuff people have more time now they can they can really dig into your stuff which we feel like is the top shelf stuff that's out yeah, there. Yeah, so I'm read. I'm on Twitter though. I'm bad on Twitter. I have I never I never really feel like I have enough to to. I never watch the television. And be like, world needs to know what I think right now. I just I, I'm <laughs> on it to promote my stuff. But I don't. Right. There's like wrong with having that button. I just don't have that button. But yeah. I'm at William F on Twitter. The be, William F Leach, excuse me, on Twitter. The best way to find my stuff though, I have a, uh, a regular newsletter called uh, William uh, William F Leach dot Substack. 
uh, com. Not only uh, I write an essay and links to everything that I write, uh, we've actually started a new thing where we're, we're taking people's coronavirus stories and kind of talking about how they're going through this, how their families are going through this. And they're not all like the big stories. Right. To me, the fun part, the amazing thing about this, not the fun part, but the amazing thing about this is literally everybody's going through it. And, you know, so much of, of, uh, of, the, of our global culture has become segmented and that everyone's just kind of has their own little group of people that they associate with. And now, you know, I mean, I always remember when we talked about how when Michael, when Michael Jackson died, that was like the last moment where everybody all had a collective experience. We're having one now. <laughs> and so the idea yeah. that like, yeah. just because, just because you're not like working on the front lines or you've had personally someone that's sick, everyone's lives are affected by this. So we've been running those stories at, uh, at, at on my newsletter pretty regularly. Sounds awesome. This is it. like a modern, this is a modern great depression that we're going through in, in that sort of a way in that it affects the entire world. So L L E I T L E I T C H, yes, right? Correct, right spell correct. it for me. We just have, so people it's William F L E I T C H dot subsec.com. You can also just type in Will Leach newsletter and uh, it'll pop yeah, up. Yeah, so check that out and watch all that stuff. For us, we have a uh, we have collected finally all of our stuff on a YouTube page, which includes all of our old, we're starting to put down all of our, collect all of our old Cheap Seats episodes, TV appearances we've done, stand up, and then we do a daily podcast called uh, Scalabra Country, the virus edition. And we all full episodes of video of those are on the uh, Scalabra Country uh, YouTube. YouTube page. So please, yeah, find that, subscribe to that. If you go to our Instagram, at Sklar Brothers, in the uh, bio, there's a link and you can subscribe to it. And that would be a great thing for all the people who are listening here, especially because, like we said, by the end of this week, we should have hopefully somewhere in the neighborhood when this drops of uh, – 10 episodes of cheap seats up there and we're just going to keep putting them up until we get all 77 up there and it'll be a place where you can watch it so people been asking you know we talked about this at the top of the show before will got on but just you know watching the all-star horse game i started like basically live tweeting it and live cheap seating it there is a real need for that show even just to look at the old episodes so here's a place where you can do it and just subscribe to that all right shall we get into some uh quick hits jay for, for, the rec- for the record, I want to say okay. that I am so uh, happy. I'm so happy those Cheap Seats episodes are up there. This feels like Cheap Seats prime era. Like I, I am personally very excited to watch those. So thank you guys for doing that. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. That does mean a lot coming from you. So uh, I don't know if you saw Deion Sanders and the whole Todd Gurley scenario where Todd Gurley uh, going to the Falcons <laughs> He was going to get his, he wanted his old number three, the Georgia number, but because the NFL won't allow that. See, that's to me like when you got to stop having those rules. Like NFL, let him have number three. Like, why is that a rule? Why can't Todd Gurley have his Georgia number? You know what I'm saying? Like that to me is just the dumbest rule ever. What does that, what does that rule signify? But Deion Sanders at first was pissed that he had his number 21. He was going to even get a number 21 because he couldn't get 30 because didn't another player on there had 30 because his brother died and there was a whole thing. So he had Deion Sanders and Deion Sanders got pissed because Deion Sanders like, I'm the only one who should be wearing 21 as a Falcon. And then he came back and was like, I was just joking. You weren't (laughs) joking, Deion. Yeah. That's like a motion to strike. Let me get it out there and then I'll strike it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, are I, you a Dion fan or what do you think? I mean, for me, Dion, I mean, Dion Sanders was obviously a great player, but you know, I mean, uh, I loved watching him play. 
but I feel like, you know, this is another example of why as a sports writer, I find it always good to separate how much I enjoyed watching the person play and how much I enjoyed them doing literally anything else. <laughs> and Deion Sanders would be, uh, uh, I, I think that uh, he was certainly entertaining, but yeah, I always find it weird. Like I'm trying to imagine a scenario where I would just like, I, I, I can like imagine a scenario where I would do something in my career and everyone would be like, oh, well, uh, no one can use the name Will in a byline anymore. That's how good he was as a writer. If you guess, or no one could. No, the, the, you know, to, to me, the idea and whatever. I get it. Todd Gurley is a legend here in Athens. Like they, the the idea that he would be, they would certainly sell a ton of jerseys if they could have his old jersey here. I feel like that was actually probably part of the thought process when they brought in uh, Gurley in the first place to Atlanta. But uh, there are also jersey numbers. I just like that. Like baseball is famous about this by having, like, uh, if you want to get. The, they'll trade a number for like oh, I gave him a six pack of beer or I gave him you know or I, yeah. I, I I bought I paid for the kids private school or something yeah. but uh, <laughs> what but, a great uh, get yeah. that out of it yeah I'll change numbers <laughs> if you want to like it I mean that is really funny that would be a great I'm sure you've written articles but that would be a great article like the top I'm sure Deadspin did that the top 10 things that players pay you top 10 things yeah. they did to get the number they wanted in the new environment would be fascinating but the truth of the matter is no one's gonna care no one yeah. cares what number he has like he it could be a number that means absolutely nothing to him and he gets it and if Todd Gurley is good which I don't think he will be because I think as a running back you kind of hit the Tiki Barber syndrome and it's like what are you gonna do you gotta either run away with your nanny or uh, I don't know what you're gonna do, but you gotta do something because you won't be right. Like Barry Sanders was so ahead of the game getting out when he did. He didn't have any of those bad years later. It's like, Todd Gurley, you're not gonna be great. And if you are great, no one's gonna care what number, no one's gonna be like, I can't root for this guy. He's, he's wearing Dion's number. Atlanta Falcons fans will be psyched if he's good. Like the only guy who really has survived through time as a running back I can think of is like Frank Gore. He's like 80. I feel like, yeah. and he's, he's, he's and it's like his Adrian Pearson is still hanging around, but it's just like it's like a, it's a couple of Xerox version incarnation of Adrian Peterson. It's amazing that he's still around at all, but right. but yeah, I think that yeah. like, journey I, with the Filipino uh, lead singer. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, but, yes, exactly. The uh, yes, well, it's good. it's well, I mean, it just shows you how how difficult it is to be a running back at that level and how any outside distraction can completely screw you. So the fact that Peterson went through that whole thing with his son and that whole that whole issue like made it impossible for him to come back and play at the level that he was at. Like he he was never the same running back ever again. Yeah, it's a, it's the difference of positions too. Like if a pitcher loses a couple miles off of his fastball, you can figure it out, right? Like you can like you, you you've learned how to pitch there's certain ways that you can help yourself out. I mean, running backs are like, listen, are you fast? And if you are fast getting to the hole, we have use for us. Your wiles as a running back do us no good, particularly with the way football is played now. The yeah. idea that like there's no value at all in a guy who, who's been running for a long time and therefore knows this how this works, but is two steps slower. Like there's just there's no uh, point for you anymore. I'll never forget what Maurice Jones-Drew told us on this podcast the years, a couple of years ago. He said after the year when he rushed for 1,608 yards or whatever he ran, like it was 1,632. He had an unbelievable season, okay? The next season he was in spring training. And spring training. Not spring, not spring training, not summer spring training. 
So I mean, you know, uh, the preseason, preseason yeah, football, yeah. Okay? whatever you understand what I'm saying. He's in preseason football in practice, practice. We talking about and practice. We talking about practice. He took a snap and missed the hole he was supposed to go in. Now he's the starting running back. And in practice, they sat him because he missed <laughs> one hole that he couldn't get into. He was like, oh my God, None, nothing I did last season mattered. It was who's going to do it the best right now. This is a business and that's it. Yeah. And, and it helps when you can, when these guys don't have guaranteed contracts, <laughs> like that's part of the problem of the NFL players union. If you don't have, like one of the things about baseball is if you're signed to a contract, they have like, to me, a good example with the Cardinals is Dexter Fowler, who I love, by the way, I'm a huge Dexter Fowler fan, but there's no question that the reason that he's still in the Cardinals and still may have a, have a starting spot is because he has a guaranteed contract for the next two years and the NFL, right. they just cut him and forget about it. And I think that I, I don't, and that's something I like about baseball, frankly, is that I kind of like that it doesn't treat these players who I root for and cheer for as meat. Doesn't, <laughs> Bobby, kind of like doesn't Bobby Bonilla, isn't he do another check in like a month? Yeah, every yeah. year he gets a million dollars <laughs> from the Mets. Every yeah. goddamn year. <laughs> um, all right. So in other stupid NFL news, Dak Prescott, the highest pay, I will call him the highest paid pretty good quarterback in NFL history. Uh he, like his owner, like Jerry Jones, I guess, feels like he's above the law. I mean, the idea that Jerry Jones ever cries poor or can't pay a player after he threw a 36 million, was it 16 million or $36 million party? 16 million. $16 million, 16 million. party for after he was inducted in the Hall of Fame. Now, I understand you're excited that you're inducted in the Hall of Fame, but like, you can never tell players you don't have the money to pay them. If you're paying for one night a party, $16 million, whatever. Uh, but speaking of parties, Dak Prescott decided to have a birthday party and gather people together after they were told. 30, 30, 30 people. Like, don't have a birthday party right now. You can have it when it's over. When we can all get together, you can have the biggest birthday party you want, but right now, like people are gonna find out about this shit. It just is, it blows my mind how much people feel like whatever. My, my only my only caveat to that is Dak Prescott is rich, and so therefore he may just have a stockpile of tests uh, lying off the other <laughs> side of his house, and just everyone that comes in. Uh, what's the What's the joke that the best way to find out if you have the coronavirus is to breathe in a rich person's face? Yeah, <laughs> have a rich person breathe in your face. Actually, yeah, you see, no, it's, 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 yeah. you cough in a rich person's face and then see what their test comes out. Yes. To be yeah, they, they have to cough in your face and then right. and then you find out. That's that's the best way to find out because I think that's so. Yeah, maybe Dak Prescott actually just has all the tests and he's like everybody. Maybe coming. he does, but like also, I doubt it. Also, you're a quarterback. You are a smart player. You're supposed to be a smart person who understands systems and whatnot. <laughs> like, understand the global system we're in right now. It just, yeah. again, the fact that, like, Tom Hanks could get coronavirus or Boris Johnson can get coronavirus is like, that's it. This isn't just happening to, like, a couple people who can't, who, you know, people who live on the streets of New Orleans. Right, like, you right. gotta, like, it. to me, it's it's amazing to me that, that they're, people believe they're above it all. It is the I'm above it all attitude that athletes and people have. I mean, Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant got coronavirus, for crying out loud. I mean, the idea yeah. that, the idea that, uh, I feel like we've spent the last two years talking about whether we like or don't like Kevin Durant, and then he got coronavirus, uh, and we just like, oh, that's such that, that's that, that's that. We're not talking about Kevin Durant right now. It's weird. No, I mean, it's amazing that uh, Kevin Durant got Draymond, it. Draymond Green. Draymond Green. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, Draymond Green cheered. 
I was going to say Draymond Green. We were both we going to say the same yeah, thing. The same Draymond page. Green is so happy. Uh, I love I love Kevin Durant. I think yeah, he's amazing. And I'm excited to see. I, the, the bummer, you know, we're huge baseball fans, but I'm telling you this NBA season, I'm really lamenting the fact that we don't have the NBA because this season down the stretch, there were so many great teams. And of course, what's happening in LA in front of our very eyes, like literally the power struggle between those two teams in LA was. Jay, you were and watching with me, your son. It's and just for me, greatest. my son, who's 11, who think back to sort of, you know, that range when he was 11, he's, he's like awakening as a sports fan. And for me to watch that in like, him saying, what are the, like him walking around the house, like hitting his phone going NBA standings, Siri, NBA standings. Yeah, yeah. Like he, every, I'm like, it's seven in the morning and now it's seven ten in the morning. I'm going to tell you right now, the NBA standings haven't changed from 7 a.m. to 7 <laughs> But he wants to know, yeah. that's that feeling of like, I need to know where every piece fits in. It's the way our minds, and I'm assuming your mind as well, works in sports. You like to have the whole picture. And I'm like watching him grow to love a league and a sport and, I happen to love it too. So we would watch one or two games a night, not even our team. And that's the benefit of having NBA TV and just watching games. We don't even have the NBA package, but we're just watching any game that's on. And he loves the players and he knows at least two to three players on every team. And to have that cut off in the heat of what was arguably one of the best NBA seasons in recent memory, especially with the fact that, you know, that's an argument for socialism almost, what happened with the NBA. The fact that they broke up super teams a little bit. <laughs> and yes, LA has, but now I, I call it, everybody's got two guys. Like that's what the NBA is right now. It's like, okay, LA, you got LeBron and Anthony Davis and Clippers, you got Kawhi and Paul George. And, you know, Houston, you've got Russell and, and Harden. So like each team has two guys and it almost feels like a, a tournament more than just two super teams who we know are going to be there at the end. And we were loving it. And then now we don't have such a tragedy. Yeah. And it feels like maybe, you know, the NBA, this is another advantage of baseball, right? Baseball may, if, if baseball were to lose its whole season, we would not have the, oh, we would have like, there'd be obviously terrible things. Like to me, Mike Trout establishing himself as one of the, as clearly one of the biggest baseball players of all time in the absolute prime of his career, losing his year, uh, year look feels terrible, but like, uh, 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 it's just so, but like the, for the NBA, I mean, this season, I agree. This season was so fun to have both those LA teams to see, to me, uh, Giannis is just like an other with like, he's the next evolutionary step in NBA basketball yeah. players and to see him have that figured out after he fell short in the playoffs and having a chance to have him make the step forward. Uh, just, just so many kind of great storylines. And it feels like the NBA more than anyone could like quarantine a Las Vegas hotel and have some playoffs. Like it feels like they could figure that out if yeah. they had to, but um, it feels like, again, most of the league has already been tested apparently. So um, maybe they can figure yeah. something out. But uh, and they were far enough along in their season that no one's going to be like, what? We did not get to see how this the last 10 games of the Knicks season played out. Like they can lop off the yeah, end of no. the year and no one would really care. Agreed. I mean, James, James Nolan got coronavirus and every Knicks fan was like, hell yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, let's go to this last one. I can't believe home invasions are still a thing during coronavirus. I mean, you would think that even people who are like, I can't, I don't want to put myself at risk. It's not worth it to me <laughs> to like, anyway. Uh, I mean, I, but I this happened this. and it's I'm like, if someone breaks into my house, I'm just coughing in their face and saying, I got it. I got it. Now you got it. Dummy. Well, 
incredible, this incredibly stupid guy with amazingly dumb strength decided to enter a home in Omaha, Nebraska that he shouldn't have. On Sunday, a man was charged after entering UFC fighter Anthony Smith's Nebraska home, according to Sergeant Wayne. So in an interview with, uh, with ESPN, so no one was injured in the struggle because there was a struggle. I'm like, wait, what? No, everyone should have been injured in that struggle. Uh, there's no ref to tell you to get off when the guy taps yeah. out. Like, everyone should be injured. He said Smith revealed that this guy, Haberman, didn't steal anything. But Haberman, by the way, does not sound like the guy that robbed your house. Uh, he's the guy to come and pick something in your easy. The Habermans are, anyway. Uh, but it was unknown why he was in his home. Didn't steal anything. He called it a terrifying situation. Yeah, it's good not to break into a house, period, let alone this guy. He was awakened after his wife told him that someone was in their home. He heard a man's voice screaming at the top of his lungs in his computer room on his property. A computer room? Like, who still has a computer room? Like, most people have, does he have a giant- I think giant you call it an office. I think it's an office. Later. He called it a computer room. Does he have a giant mainframe computer? Because a laptop can go anywhere. So he's like a Bond villain. He's just got the wall of TVs. <laughs> he's got like the, he's got the Whopper from War Games. Anyway, but the mainframe computer. So he said, "I didn't know what he had." Typically, people don't break into your house in the middle of the night for good reasons. I'm expecting that I'm going to hear a gunshot or he's going to stab me. Like he's got something. I figure I got about two minutes. I love this guy's thinking at 3 a.m. Like he's a cerebral UFC fighter. So he attempted to subdue the man, but it took quite some time to be able to do it. Despite being a talented UFC fighter, the assailant took every shot that he was throwing. He's like, the guy had like crazy strength. Dana White is probably going to sign this guy. I mean, right? Or (laughs) this is considered a sparring event. Again, it's like weirder to me that this guy took I don't know what's weird to me. The fact that this guy took every shot that this guy threw at him, the UFC fighter threw at him, or that the guy has a computer room. I, anyway, think, I, uh, I think I think Dave Chappelle had a bit in his recent stand-up special about what happens uh, when uh, the wrong person under the wrong influences, <laughs> uh, uh, maybe under the influence of the wrong substances, uh, what they're capable of taking when they come into your home. Uh, and, <laughs> and I also love, by the way, uh, that, that they then, uh, I think Joe Rogan, um, uh, like gave him crap gave smith crap about this afterwards he was like well you couldn't take care of this guy i mean maybe you're not the light heavyweight champ and so i encourage uh uh, i I like the idea that like not being up being able to completely destroy a dude that's that's completely whacked out on drugs when you come into place actually you see trash talk by the announcer in the ufc the ufc is the old is the wild i mean it is maybe maybe you got to rethink your fight i mean the good news is this happened before he had like a light heavyweight uh title fight coming up He's still going to have the fight, which I'm like, wait, no fights should still be going on. I know Dana White is trying to like buy an island somewhere to make this happen, but he said it was one of the toughest fights I've ever had in my whole life. I went into, (laughs) he said, I went into the fight ready to die. Nobody smart breaks into a house middle night unarmed. And so he went. Yeah, no, I get that part of it. But like, you should still like have one move where you like twist his pinky and like break his neck. Like, don't they all know that like one move where if like, I press right here, then you shit yourself or something. Right, exactly. It is, it was amazing. I mean, it is amazing. And I, it's kind of incredible that this guy went into a house thinking nothing was going to happen. And then all of a sudden here's this UFC fighter. I think it hurt in the moment. And when the drugs wear off, this guy is going to be in deep trouble. Like he could (laughs) just be, like it's the type of thing where he could just be walking along three weeks from now and collapse (laughs) with everything that happened.
Yeah. All right, and as my daughter shows up with a bunch of cup of noodles, I think that's uh, I think that's where we wrap this. Uh, <laughs> My man, I love talking sports with you. I want to hang and watch a Cardinals game with you. That's all we want to do. Like oh, literally, gosh. like we've talked about it. We will make it happen when baseball comes back. Let's, I don't know, let's cyber watch a game together. If we're ever in Atlanta or near you, you're our guest at our show or whatever we do, we'll, we'll take you out to dinner. Uh, and everyone should go ahead right now in this time of quarantine and subscribe to Will's newsletter. Just Google it, you'll find it. Put your name on the list. You'll want to be reading this. It'll make you happy and distract you a little bit from the darkness. And I think that's, or at least have you dig into it. Uh, thank you for joining us, my man. That was awesome. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for everything. Thanks for what, what you guys are doing. And uh, everybody stay safe over there. All right, guys, Will Leach, amazing. I mean, I think it can't be underscored enough how much his sort of writing at Deadspin 15 years his ago. Yeah. Yeah. And how it revolutionized the way sports were being covered because at the time it was Sports Illustrated and then it moved to ESPN and page two and all that stuff on ESPN. But then the idea of the blog sports writer and doing at a certain level. Uh, I really think he was the, on the forefront of the revolution of now what we read. So just amazing and great to get into the discussion with him. He has so much, so many valuable things to add to any sports discussion. Love to have him here. Uh, last week, Bernie Sanders dropped out of the race. He left us a voicemail. Uh, interesting to see what he is doing now and if he's going to dip his toe. To me, I, I feel like Bernie Sanders still plays tennis with an old wooden racket. Yes. Right, a hundred percent, yes. With no racket cover, but those the trapezoidal wood thing that we screwed on over it. Yeah, you had to screw on and unscrew every single time. It was so much. It was more work than actually playing tennis. Was taking on and off the trapezoidal thing. Uh, but Bernie Sanders is with us, and uh, he left a voicemail. Check it out. Hello, Randy and Jason. Randy, thank you for your email inquiry. I received it. Jason, I got a short shrift text from you. I'm not sure what that's about. You and I can work it out later. The question was, what are you going to do now that you are free, so to speak? And here's what I'm going to do. I am going to take all of the donations, and I'm going to ask my donors to continue at a clip of $18 to donate more money to focus on a new goal to break up the NFL oligarchy by purchasing America's team, the Dallas Cowboys owned, coincidentally, by a billionaire by the name of Jerry Jones. Now, I've never met Mr. Jones, but I hear that he's a nice guy, likes pontoons, spending his weekends on lakes in the metro area. That's fine. We are going to change the face of the NFL oligarchy and specifically the Dallas Cowboys by saying, if you are going to call yourself America's team, you should be owned by America. All right, and that means all of the items in the stadium equal cost for everyone so they can afford it one dollar for a hot dog one dollar for peanuts popcorn nachos with cheese and if you fall ill from any of those items medicare for all in the stadium and yes i will have a seat i will be back from the front i don't need a ringside seat it's too much action i don't need it it's fine that is what we are focused on now all right thank you i will talk to you later randy actually jason you and i will talk first we got to work this out Goodbye.
Hello, Randy and Jason. First and foremost, let me thank you and the entire Cheap Seats Nation for your implied support during my campaign. The question you asked me, I got your email, Randy, thank you. Jason, you sent me a short shrift text. I'm not sure what that means, but we'll talk later. But the question was, Bernie, what are you going to do now that you are no longer running for president of the United States? And I will tell you, I have amassed a legion of followers who have donated to me an average of $18 per donation. For the next 365 days, I will continue to bring in those donations with one goal in mind, to purchase America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. Owned by a billionaire, by the way, who is in the top 1% of 1% of the 0.01%, you can't even get to that many digits on your Texas Instruments calculator, Jerry Jones. And in my opinion, you cannot own America's team if you are a billionaire. It's not fair. So we will buy the stadium, we will buy the team, the players, all of that. I will charge $1 for every item off the food menus, dollar for a hot dog, dollar for popcorn, dollar for nachos and cheese. And if you fall ill from any of those items, we will have Medicare for all in the stadium. No charge. Jerry Jones, your time is through. The age of billionaires owning America's sport is over. Burning out. All right, right. there you go. There you go. That's a show, you guys. We are so happy to be able to provide this for you, uh, even in the time of uh, Corona and the time of the pandemic and the time of social distancing. We say this on our daily podcast. If you haven't checked out our daily podcast, uh, Scarborough Country, the virus edition, please go check that out. Subscribe to that on iTunes or whatever. You can see the, uh, the video of that, those episodes on our YouTube page. Again, go to our YouTube page, go to our Instagram. If you're not following us on Instagram, please follow us. We put up clips and fun stuff every day. Um, but if you go there, you can click on the link in our bio and then go subscribe to the YouTube page. Again, Cheap Seats episodes up and rocking. Uh, we love you guys. Go punch a waterfall. Go punch a water faucet. Then go wash your hands. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next week. A podcast network. Will they find a home? Sponsored by Geico. Steve is intrigued by the paranormal. Otherworldly spirits really make a house a home, you know? Janice has different taste. I'd like my house to not be haunted. Compromise is tough, but these two won't have to compromise when they bundle home and car insurance with Geico. It's easy, and they could save even more. In the end, Steve and Janice found a renovated Victorian that's only haunted from 9 to 5. Okay, wife's home. Y'all gotta bounce. Bye, Steve. Bundling without compromise at geico.com.